0: Ladies and gentlemen, to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss X-Men number 33, the June 1967 issue.
1: The Purple pipe plays his tune, the choir softly sing. Three lullabies in an ancient tongue for the court of the crimson crimsonese. the cover of this particular issue is rather iconic in my opinion at least it's been used for i think many other collections and compendiums is it the cover of the omnibus nope oh it should be i think it's the cover <laughs> it's the cover of one of the uh marvel essentials x-men essentials but what it is is it's a really cool uh rendering of the juggernaut and again, somebody whoever draws these pictures is pays really special attention to fingernails because, uh, once again, we've got a really well-manicured hand that belongs to the Juggernaut. And uh, the rest of the X-Men, um, not quite sure exactly what's going on here because in this rendering it only looks like Iceman and Angel are fighting while the other X-Men look on, but that's the rendering.
0: It's it's like he drew the uh, picture first, and then they were like, "Wait, what about the other guys?" Oh, we'll just do the floating head thing.
1: Yeah, we don't have any room for Cyclops, Marvel, Gorilla, Beast. Yeah, I just do the heads. But, anyways, yeah, I, I like this cover a lot. I uh, I think it's kind of lame. Really,
0: I like I like the image that and the the idea behind the image and the composition. I just don't think the drawing is very good, hmm. except for the hands. The hands are quite remarkable.
1: Um, I I like the perspective of the Juggernaut.
0: I like that too. I just don't think the Juggernaut is that well drawn, or nor is Iceman or Beast or uh, Angel.
1: Well, I think Iceman and and uh, Angel, well, actually all of the X Men kind of. Uh, if you take all of them away and then leave the Juggernaut with the X Men logo, you got yourself a poster, in my opinion.
0: Mm, I disagree.
1: All right, folks, you be the judge. Write us, uh, let us know what you think of this particular cover, because apparently it's our first major disagreement on the danger (laughs) room. This could very well be the last episode. (laughs) That's it. I've had enough of you and your juggernaut loving kind. I quit, by the way.
0: Well, I guess I'll be doing this solo from now on. Uh, Fine. We have a little uh, exclamation commentary. In this ish don't miss the fleeting but fateful appearance of Doctor Strange. Hooray Oh, you're still here.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's also a freewheeling fight to the finish when Marvel's magnificent mutants tackle the fearsome juggernaut.
1: The juggernaut will definitely be in this issue.
0: I sure hope so, because that would be misleading.
1: <laughs> if they completely changed tracks after last issue and it was <laughs> they've they've battled Doctor Strange for some reason First we took on Fantastic Four Now we must fight Doctor Strange Anyways this issue was edited by Stan Lee Written by Roy Thomas Drawn by Werner Roth uh, Inked by John Tartaglioni And uh, (laughs) Sam Rosen Is the letterer And for the first time in a while There's no Irving Forbush Oh good Thank goodness Throughout this issue, they include all of the advertisements, and this is the first issue that I've noticed that they started promoting Not Brand Ech, Marvel's very own parody magazine, and on the cover of Not Brand Ech is the mighty Forbush Man in his long johns and metal frying pan head hat. Right. So that's where Irving Forbush went. This issue is called Into the Crimson Cosmos. So when we last left uh, the Juggernaut, he had been summoned by the mighty Factor 3 to steal an airplane and fly to Europe. And and, uh, the Juggernaut, thinking that he had killed, I think, or otherwise incapacitated the X-Men, said, Well, I'm going to do that, not because you told me to, but because I uh, want to. Yeah. You're not the boss of me.
0: You're not the boss of me. I'm the boss of me. I'll do what you want.
1: Yes. And so the first splash panel here is the juggernaut tearing through the forest, heading towards, presumably, an airplane. Which I think is a better drawing than the cover. Really? (laughs) I disagree. Again, the juggernaut in this particular panel suffers from the tick design, where he's just a big round... Oblong character. Hmm. There's no definition. He doesn't have a waist. He's just—he's very tick-like.
0: It's definitely less iconic.
1: It's definitely less iconic. It's just—it's very generic. I'll give you that. Okay.
0: <laughs> We're on the way to wherever he's headed, presumably to an airport. There's a, a bunch of uh, army troops.
1: No, just two. Well,
0: they <laughs> refer to a bunch of other ones.
1: They say something like. This must be the reason why we've been sent out in teams of two.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> to which I wonder, all right, how does the National Guard or the Army or whoever these people even know that the juggernaut's on the loose and that they have to stop something?
0: Ah, but all will be revealed, Jeremy.
1: I hope you're right because I read this whole issue and I don't remember it being revealed. I hope I just missed it.
0: <laughs> I'll try to remember to call it. Okay. Call that when it happens. So they have some specialty weapons, a bazooka.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's army slang for bazooka. In case you were yeah, wondering, I know. I, know. <laughs> I was talking to the listener Adam. Oh,
0: okay. They know. They know. <laughs> and uh, they fire their zooka.
1: And besides, I don't think that that's military slang. I think. Uh, I don't some, think so. <laughs> Sam Rosen was having a an off day.
0: So the bazooka shell. Uh, which has the power to stagger an elephant. I would think it would also kill the elephant, but...
1: I would think that a bazooka projectile would be much more powerful than just elephant stopping.
0: Doesn't even halt the Juggernaut, of course. He raises his arms in victory. Meh, he says.
1: (laughs) Well, he doesn't say meh, but he does mention his invulnerable force field. I just want to point that out.
0: They're really focusing in on this... Force field with this uh couple of issues. And then the Juggernaut does another uh much more impressive than last issue, slamming down onto the ground with his two fists, which shakes the entire area around them with a shock wave.
1: And it causes a rock slide that the two military men are like, we're gonna be killed! But then, in typical Marvel 60s sense, they duck out of the way in time, and, and they're okay. Oh, we narrowly dodged that bullet. Whew, we better run.
0: But they mentioned that they're um, trapped on one side of some boulders and juggernauts on the other side, heading for the nearby Metro Airport.
1: Yes. So, at some point here, were you going to tell me why the military was out trying to stop the juggernaut, or has that yet not been revealed?
0: It actually happens in this very same panel.
1: Ah, okay. Uh,
0: Next panel, sorry. Okay. uh, Cyclops says, somehow I got through to the governor on the phone, and he's called out the National Guard.
1: Uh, You know, okay. I mean, I did read that, and I was like, I took that as if, like, okay, the events of the army just occurred, and then Cyclops, meanwhile, had contacted the governor, and the governor's like, really? I'm going to send out some National Guard, like, I don't know what those army people were doing, but now the National Guard's coming in. Just a weird series of events, and uh, I completely mistook it. So, somehow, I got through to the governor. And what did you say? I said, I'm uh, an X-Man, and the juggernaut, <laughs> who is this crazy man. My name is Scott Summers. <laughs> he, he's infected by the crimson bands of Satorak, and he's a living juggernaut, and he can, he can cause earthquakes and such. You better get the National Guard out. Okay, Mr. Summers. Uh, I'll, I'll be sure to get the National Guard out. Uh, that's my terrible Schwarzenegger. <laughs> Schwarzenegger wasn't the governor of New York, Adam. <laughs> uh, anyhow, so I would have loved to have heard that conversation. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. Meanwhile, uh, Jean it has found the mental wave amplifier, and she's wearing it because apparently she's the only one of the group that received a crash course on how to use it, and she can use this to probe the professor's mind.
0: Yeah, they just hope to contact the professor to figure out if he's going to make it or something, I guess.
1: She puts it on. It
0: looks like a stethoscope. Did, uh, he used this when Bobby was unconscious, right?
1: It's the same device, Yep, looks like the the doctor, the, the dentist's little head mirror thing.
0: Must turn to full volume, she says. Everybody has something to say, and Scott says, Quiet, all of you! Can't you see she's concentrating,
1: listening? (laughs) Concentrating. Listening. In case you didn't (laughs) understand the part where I said concentrating, she's listening. Sorry, Scott. No need to get redundant on us. It's all right, boys. The psychic impulses are, are coming in more strongly now. That must mean the professor's going to be all right. Thank heaven! Then she goes on to say the story that they're showing... It's incredible. So apparently when you uh, probe the professor's mind with the Mento whatever thing this is, it shows you a little mind movie. And that's kind of cool. Well, I, it has to
0: do with the last thing that I, he was doing was connecting with the Juggernaut's mind. Mm-hmm. So this is apparently what he was extracting from the Juggernaut's mind uh, and, and the whole Sidorak thing.
1: Yeah, and so I got... I, I got... A little bit of excited, as much as, as excited as you could get, because the Juggernaut, one of the first issues I bought of the X-Men was uh, issue 217. Spoilers for those who, uh, who might remember this and, and however many <laughs> issues that is from now and who haven't already read it. It, it, it was um, actually uh, 215, 216. It doesn't really matter. That's, uh, the point is, is it was a Dazzler versus Juggernaut issue, and from that point on I was like, whoa, this Juggernaut dude's really cool. And so I played, you know, the Marvel superheroes game, and had guide to the Marvel universe, and read all of Juggernaut statistics, and it always just referenced like went into a cave and touched the crimson bands of Sidorak and became a living Juggernaut, and is the stepbrother of Charles Xavier, and then it went on to go, you know, was partnered with Black Tom Cassidy and pulled off all these heists and such, but it never really got into like what Sidorak was. So when we started this story, I was like, oh, we're Finally, the story that has eluded me all of these years, I'll <laughs> finally know it and it's going to be awesome. So, well, let's delve in, shall let's we? Let's find out how awesome it was that they forgot to include it in every single one of his bios. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Anyhow. So we have this guy walking on the hillside.
1: Who looks oddly like the professor. Yeah, you're right. He totally does. <laughs> he I can't tell if he's bald, but he looks like he's bald because he's got one of those like rice hats on. A few
0: panels later, he's bald.
1: And he's got the same eyebrows as the professor.
0: I bet he actually looks nothing like this, but the professor, is, is in his mind, looks just like him.
1: Oh, it's some self-ego thing, like everybody he portrays is himself.
0: Yeah, exactly. Nice touch artists.
1: <laughs> ah. Okay.
0: <laughs> this guy's name is apparently the Ancient One.
1: And we get a little note here that anyone who doesn't recognize the Ancient One as the young man from Strange Tales number 148, lose one turn. So apparently he's been referenced elsewhere.
0: Yeah, I lost a turn, did you?
1: Yeah, I lost a turn too. I was <laughs> never a Doctor Strange fan. I know some of the names, but I don't know this dude. Ancient One is familiar, like the term is familiar, but I don't know.
0: Oh, it's like stringing two words together. It's saying like... The pizza man sounds familiar.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but see, in the Marvel Universe, the pizza man would have like a whole backstory and (laughs) multiple appearances, and there would only be one pizza guy, you know. There'd be other people that delivered pizzas, but pizza guy would be.
0: The ancient one is traveling into, I guess he's in Korea, which used to be called the Shosan, and he is traveling to see the ruby of the crimson bands as we know which is what juggernaut touched to become the juggernaut mm-hmm. and he is there only to observe i'm not sure exactly what he's planning on observing maybe he's just gonna hang out well wait for somebody to touch the, the ruby
1: he is prepared for the long haul
0: and he gets attacked by a guy uh, a, a monster Wearing the Hulk signature colors,
1: <laughs> uh, or wearing uh, the Skrull signature colors, and looks a lot <laughs> like a, a very fat, wide Skrull. And he, his name is Zorak, and uh, those astute fans will will remember Zorak is from Space Ghost. Yeah, and this is not the same Zorak.
0: It must be. <laughs> it must be.
1: Um, and I think it's spelled slightly different. This Zorak starts with an X.
0: So Zorak has been standing guard of the ruby for, I guess, a millennia or so. Sure. And he's just been killing whoever tries to come take the ruby. So Zorak attempts to use his powers against the Ancient One, but the Ancient One has control over magic as well. They do a little battling, you know, it's kind of like some forced lightning. The Ancient One sends Zorak into the universe of the sacred Ruby. So inside the Ruby, apparently, is a universe, which is a pretty cool concept. So that's the story the Marvel Girl tells. She gets out of her mind probe, I guess you could call it.
1: Yep, she breaks out of the, the mental probe that she was doing because if she probed any further, it could damage his brain permanently.
0: And Bobby says the profs were of 100 juggernauts. They ask. Who, who this mystic was, and she says she can sense the name, the ancient one. I, I actually like this image of Jean rolling up her sleeve, her her glove, to look at her wristwatch.
1: Yeah, uh, they bring out the Mentello Shield, uh, which if I ever start a band, it's going to be called Mentello Shield. <laughs> uh, must have uh, this Mentello Shield must have been keeping Cain Markle alive while the professor tried to cure him of the rubies curse so are they putting him i think they're putting him into the mentello shield yes, yes if only it can do the same for him it must i want to point out at this point something that just dawned on me is that in the last issue uh the juggernaut smashed a wall which broke a pipe which is still flooding the basement at some point that thing's going to hit the fuse box and this this uh, uh, uh this mentello shield is going to uh, short out it's slow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, within a few minutes it was up to their ankles, though. It's, it, the water's rising. I I hope they don't forget about that little sideline story. As
0: fate should happen, some rubble got kicked loose and uh <laughs> and
1: it clogged up that pipe.
0: Yeah, it clogged up the drain, but there's it's still flooded in there.
1: Okay. Fine. You're willing to let that one go, Adam.
0: I I'm not letting it go. <laughs> I'm saying that the basement is flooded. Okay but that it's not going to continue.
1: So they get the they get the professor uh, sort of stabilized and then the professor then Beast says that they must now turn their undivided attention to Cerebro because it might be the only one that can locate the one known as the ancient one if he still lives.
0: Because as we know Cerebro detects mutants. So yes. the ancient one must be a mutant, right?
1: Yes. Um, and this must be okay. So Next page, this must be uh, a spare Cerebro <laughs> because I think, it didn't it explode last issue?
0: Yeah, and it said it was uh, damaged beyond repair.
1: The Beast has like a, a rope that he's got maybe on a pulley system and everybody's kind of pushing another, I, I would presume, another Cerebro up on end uh, so they, they can get this thing set up and uh, yeah, you know, Beast is working on He's got a screwdriver, he's screwing some things together.
0: Always have a spare Cerebro on hand.
1: Exactly. He says that he inst- he wonders if he installed it properly.
0: You know what's interesting here is uh, Angel says, Lucky, the professor briefed us on these machines, Psych. Wasn't it issue 7 or 6 where he was keeping Cerebro a secret of, from everybody except for Cyclops?
1: Yeah, but then he introduced Cyclops to Cyberno. Right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Scott was supposed to monitor Cyberno. I don't think at any point the professor was like, oh, by the way, here's a secret I've been keeping from everybody. And uh, now all of you can use it. And let me give you one training lesson.
0: I guess when the professor went to confront Lucifer, uh, C- Cyclops showed the rest of the gang Cerebro. So maybe the professor realized at that point. Well, I guess I might as well show you how it works.
1: The rest of the X Men are like, "Why are you keeping secrets from us, old man? <laughs> you know that so that Cerebro thing could have helped us on many missions."
0: I I was just waiting till you graduated. Yeah, that's it. And guess what? You're all graduated now. Yeah, yeah.
1: We've been graduated since issue seven, Professor. <laughs> Why are we still at this school? <laughs>
0: You're taking on master's degree (laughs) courses.
1: Why don't you pay us? Why do you give us vacations and then make us take cabs everywhere? 75 cent stipend. Leave me alone. (laughs) Why are we fighting your battles, old man? This is your stepbrother, not ours. Evil mutants. Evil mutants. (laughs) Everywhere. Everywhere. So Beast must be
0: modifying Cerebro so that it doesn't.
1: Well, he says the the MFB greatly increases Cerebro's range for a limited period, at least if I've installed it properly. And then we get a note saying, so that's what it does. We've wondered ever since issue number 27. I got to be honest, I don't know what he's talking about, and I haven't been wondering since issue 27. So they turn the system on, and they want to find out the ancient one. And uh, the Cerebro scans the entire globe. I wonder if the FCC is okay with that.
0: So presumably they wrote out a tag that said the ancient one and they stuck it in the slot of Cerebro.
1: <laughs> right. That's how Cerebro operates. He, he reads tags. Right, yeah. Oh, ancient one. Matching data patterns <laughs> for <laughs> ancient one. <laughs> Located. Boop, boop. Well, actually, I don't think Cerebro locates the ancient one. Um, I think the ancient one noticed that Cerebro was looking for him because... In through a wall appears Dr. Strange.
0: A moustached gentleman with a large cape.
1: Yes. Again, I'm no Dr. Strange historian. I know he's got a little manservant whose name escapes me at the moment. Yeah, me too. He fights Dormammu, and that's about it.
0: Dr. Strange says, The Ancient One is no more. His very essence has passed to me his mystic disciple.
1: He was a surgeon and an alcoholic, I think. And he got into an accident that damaged his hands, and he couldn't do surgery anymore. And then somehow he became magical.
0: Suddenly you're a fountain of knowledge.
1: That's all I know, I swear. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah, so uh, apparently the Ancient One is Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange has the knowledge of he who used to be the Ancient One. Let me ask you this. When the Ancient One was actually wandering around um, and alive, was he known as the Ancient One then? Or was he known as, like, the New One? (laughs) Or the Fresh One? (laughs) The Young One. The Young One.
0: The Middle-Aged One.
1: (laughs) Just, you know, just curious.
0: Uh, He was known as, by his age, he was, at this point, he was the 35-year-old one. (laughs) Okay. Every year he was, like, a different one.
1: 20 years later, he's the retired one. Leave me alone. I quit that business. (laughs) What about Sidorak? Eh. Bunch of malarkey. Somebody turn the heat on. Get me a blanket. Let me tell you about Sidorak. Sit down, lads. Get those kids off my lawn. (laughs) So, anyhow, he's the ancient one. And uh, so he's apparently, he lets us know that right now his physical body is at Stonehenge in great risk, but eh, he'll hang out with his astral form for a little while and Regale the teenagers of what information He has of Sidorak
0: Well he's compelled by their search for the ancient one Something must be important Mm -hmm. Anyone searching for the ancient one Is Takes top priority Like if you and I were searching for the ancient one right now Dr. Strange would stop what he was doing And come visit us
1: Wow we should try that sometime It's like saying Bloody Mary three times in a a Mirror you just talk about the ancient one All of a sudden Dr. Strange appears or Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How creepy would it that be? What happens when you
0: say Bloody Mary?
1: I don't know. Bloody Mary shows up and kills you. Bloody
0: Mary is a person?
1: I don't know. I thought it
0: was a drink. <laughs> if I could get free Bloody Marys just by saying Bloody <laughs> Mary into a mirror three times, I would do it all the time.
1: I think that's a good shift on that urban legend. <laughs> the Doctor Strange talks about there's a dangerous journey and only two of you may undertake it. All of the X-Men raise their hand and say, "Pick me, Scott! Pick me!" Cyclops
0: picks Marvel Girl.
1: I want to point out something monumentous in the third panel. There's okay. a there's a little switch on Cyclops's visor. Oh yeah. That he could reach up and he could open and close. It's like a it's like a a vent flue for an old wood stove. Is what I imagine is the mechanics going on inside of his visor. Which, by the way, throughout this entire issue has gotten a lot larger than it's used to been, yeah. has
0: been in the past. Well, he's using a new one.
1: Yeah, yeah, apparently. So there you go. It's, there's a little switch, folks. You heard it here first. found
0: his death-defying rays weren't like, uh, causing enough damage, so he, he got a larger one so <laughs> that he could whine about it.
1: And so there's a little bit of a, oh, did I pick Jean because I love her or because of her telekinetic power?
0: And Jean thinks to herself, Scott chose me as if he knew how much I longed to share his risks. I won't let him down.
1: I see a problem with Cyclops' logic. If he truly loved Marvel Girl, he wouldn't pick her. If he was truly just going on an emotional basis, right? Because you'd be like... He doesn't want to leave her side. Well, but on a dangerous mission into the... I don't know.
0: His feelings are changing. They're changing from being protectively, a protective, stodgy old man to being a young, I-want-to-be-by-your-side, tender,
1: lover man. Maybe he thinks that once Doctor Strange sends them into whatever world they're going to, that'll be the time he can make his move.
0: Yeah, they'll be alone. <laughs>
1: They'll be alone, she ain't got nowhere to go, she's on a strange planet. Or Cyclops looks
0: for any opportunity he can
1: find. <laughs> and she's like, uh, Scott, I I share some of your feelings, but this is really inappropriate. <laughs> oh, Anyways, Doctor Strange says, I gotta get back to Stonehenge, but I'm gonna cast a spell here, and, and then you gotta say the incantation, and then that's it, that's all you gotta do.
0: So he passes the incantation directly into their brains and then makes them disappear and appear in Korea. But before he goes, he says, you only have an hour to complete this mission mission, or you will remain forever within the Crimson Cosmos.
1: But he only teleported them to Korea. So does their hour start when they get to Korea or when they get into the Crimson Cosmos?
0: I think it starts when they get to Korea, but yeah, maybe he just assumes that within the first 20 minutes, they'll get to the Crimson Cosmos. If they didn't make it into the Crimson Cosmos before the hour was over, I'm assuming that they would just be stuck in Korea.
1: Forever. Every time we try to leave Korea, we end up just in the middle of Korea. (laughs) (laughs) Marvel Girl uses her telekinetic power to probe the land to see if she can find a, a man-made object of some sort. And she does.
0: Yes, the idol of Sidorak.
1: Apparently she's using her telekinetic power much like uh sonar or radar bouncing her telekinetic. Look, she can't probe the land with her telekinetic power any more than the professor can probe <laughs> the land with his mental telepathy. Makes, makes no sense.
0: Cyclops starts blasting away at the rock that she has determined is covering the land
1: where, or the cave where they will find the idol. Some communists come along and they say, hey, we're almost to the Temple of Sidorak. It sure is scary. Yes, sir.
0: And they get sent away by Marble Girl, causing a landslide.
1: Yeah, we skipped one piece. When they first arrive in Korea, they're about to cross a field, but Marvel Girl says, Oh, that that field might be filled with landmines, so I'll 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 telekinetically levitate us across. So Marvel Girl drops a whole bunch of rocks on that minefield and blows it up. And then the troops are like they don't say, Oh, what delicious irony, a landslide on our own mines, but they do say, Oh, our own mines have been turned against us And then another troop says, Oh
0: that makes sense because she's pulling out the strategically placed keystone. Yeah. And I, I was wondering, like, how did she, who placed that there, and how did she know it was there?
1: Well, every every rock pile or, 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 you know, pile of anything has generally has a keystone. The one piece that you pull and everything comes tumbling down. I
0: understand that, but oh. they're not strategically placed. They generally kind of fall that way.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, she, she she made a leap of faith there. I'm
0: going to say that she detected somehow that somebody actually placed that keystone there as a way to set off the mines. The ancient one. She also detected.
1: A millennia ago. Said, You know, one day, somebody's going to need this. I'm going to put this keystone right here. <laughs>
0: and then rocks fell on it.
1: And uh, so as the mines blow up, uh, one of the communists says, Oh, we must have truly aroused the wrath of Sidorak. Run!
0: In his best C3PO.
1: <laughs> oh, R2. Wait for me. <laughs> Off they run. Good girl, Genie. <laughs> he does that a lot, actually. Uh, says, like, uh, way to go, gal. <laughs> she, yeah, she woofs and waits patiently for her treat. But we've already spent several minutes here, and Doctor Strange said we only had an hour. So you're right. The hour starts the minute they get to Korea. Well, we'll make it, girl. We've got to.
0: So they enter the cave, and it's all pink inside, and there's, like, pictures of stars and suns.
1: Moons and clovers. Clovers. and <laughs> I think there's a horseshoe in the corner. <laughs> Shamrocks. <laughs> and a little guy saying, me lucky charms. No, it's a big red dude with a big S or something on his chest.
0: They come across the idol of sitarak
1: It was huge. It's very large. Jean gets tempted. She says, oh, the ruby. I must. And Cyclops says, no, be careful. You will become an evil juggernaut, too. Oh, I forgot.
0: <laughs> then they clasp in each other's hands and say the magic words. By dread Dormammu's deadly twin, by Hagas Hori's strands, Let these two now descend within the ruby of crimson bands. That's why there could only be two.
1: Yeah, because the incantation only allows for two.
0: Incantation called for two. I see. Couldn't have changed the words to let these three, because then it wouldn't have worked.
1: I don't understand what we said, Scott, yet I feel dizzy. The spell must be affecting us. The sacred ruby seems to be growing. So instead of the ruby growing, they're actually shrinking inside of the ruby of Sidorak into the universe within. I still don't understand why the peace in Korea counts against their one hour. It seems to me like if they would have failed to get there in an hour, they would just be able to catch a flight back home and be like, "Da, Doctor Strange, Stephen, buddy, can you send us back again? Give us another hour? He'd be like, kids, fine. <laughs> it's gonna cost you this time, though. They get sucked into the crystal, and uh, it's all weird and Yeah, it's all trippy. Yeah, it's a very trippy environment. Out from nowhere shows Zorak.
0: But then he says, Nay, fools, for on earth Zorak was a mere demon created by Satorak. But here I am supreme. Here I am very lonely.
1: (laughs) Friend? (laughs) (laughs) I have cards. We can play gin rummy. I make a mean (laughs) margarita. He says, "I am the outcast."
0: So, I, I guess because he's inside Satorak, or no, he's inside the ruby of Satorak. Therefore, he changes his name
1: to the outcast. Sure, sure. Why not? What the heck? You know what? If I was changing locations like that, you know, I, if I got sucked into another universe or into a gem or something, I'd change my name. What the heck?
0: Would you change your name to the outcast, or what would you?
1: Ah, it's already been taken. I, I would come up with you know i mean uh, from what i understand he's he's been here for a while so he's had some time to think on it so you know that spent some time and that yeah i'd come up with a name
0: every time he's visited he changes his name <laughs> to you i am in the outcast to the last people here i was the magician
1: <laughs> <laughs> and tomorrow i shall be known as the recycler don't ask well, so we switch locations from the mystic ruby of Satorak to an air force base where the juggernaut is lumbering toward a fence. Yeah, he's still
0: heading towards the airport, and the X-Men show up in their copters, and Bobby says, "What happened to the weak villains like Magneto and the Sentinels?" <laughs> <laughs> As I recall, they didn't actually beat Magneto or the Sentinels or Juggernaut. Yeah. It was the professor.
1: You are correct. And while I'm on the subject, so it must still be Iceman speaking, because we can't see because we're just seeing the helicopter. What does a guy like Juggernaut want with an aircraft plant? Oh, they're in an aircraft plant, not an Air Force base. So he's going to build an airplane and then fly to Europe. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And then Beast responds, I'd hate to hazard a guess, Bobby, but whatever it is, we must ascertain that he doesn't get it.
1: So the Juggernaut busts through the fence, which is electrical, but it doesn't matter because he's got his force field. Uh, And he mentions it right there. This electrified fence cannot harm me through my force field. Just one more reminder that Juggernaut has a force field. Zasp! Some security guards come and uh, running away, I guess, well, the X-Men kind of circle around the air for the, uh, air the airplane plant to figure out what their next move is. And this is when the Juggernaut finally realizes that he doesn't really acknowledge that they're alive, but, or that he made a mistake in not just killing them when he had a chance, but he says, Oh, the accursed X-Men insist on risking their rash lives yet a second time. I cannot wait for the days when the writing is not so corny. <laughs> <laughs> I am this is this makes for a really difficult read when all of the characters speak the same. For I too was once in the place that you are at and shall be once again here too on to risking rash lives for a second time. All of these villains that we've encountered so far except for maybe the Sentinels they get a pass because they're robots, have been very one dimensional.
0: Except for the mimic.
1: I guess he's had a little bit more dimensions added to him. But even even him is still like, oh, the world wronged me, and I got these powers, and now I'll take over the world. Everybody's just got, like, this singular focus. and
0: Yeah, the villains and the X-Men thus far are definitely very one-dimensional.
1: I think we glossed over one fact. Uh, so the, the, the Gene and Cyclops went... With it's, were sent away by Dr. Strange and Cyclops said okay you other three I got a very important job for you you guys got to go after Juggernaut and you got to slow him and give bias some time, bias as much time as possible so this page here after uh, we were just talking about the horrible dialogue uh, the, the remaining X-Men are trying to come up with a plan on exactly how they're going to do that
0: yeah and they don't know what the Juggernaut is doing yet they just know he's at an airport they don't know why
1: so, on the next page, it's another two-thirds page, uh, they come up with a plan that would have worked wonderfully on just about any other mutant, or supervillain, I should say. Uh, but pretty cool. Yeah, but, I mean, they, they should have realized this wasn't going to work on the Juggernaut. Of course. But what they do is they... Uh, Beast acts as the fulcrum for the helicopter. Uh, Iceman uses an ice pole vault to push up the tail with Angel's help so that they can create uh, a, a blender, or or what would you call it? like a They basically want to chop the Juggernaut up with the blades of the helicopter fins.
0: Yeah, and, the blender sounds pretty good. Yeah,
1: so they, they flip it towards him so that they can push it into the Juggernaut, and I don't know if their plan is just to rip him to shreds, because that's pretty dark. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, as the X-Men should have realized, the Juggernaut, a he's got a force field as he mentions again, and he's pretty much invulnerable
0: it's It's pretty cool, but if it had worked, it's pretty violent
1: yeah so he 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 busts apart the helicopter blades, and now the helicopter's just destroyed so the
0: one thing I don't like about this helicopter vaulting uh panel is that the sound effect they have for the rotary uh the the blades uh rotating is swoosh mm-hmm. That, that's not right. It should be like chugga, 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 or something like that. Something repeating, not just a
1: swoosh. You would have preferred a whoop, 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 yeah, whoop, yeah. whoop, 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 sound? I would have, yes. Uh, one day we're going to write a comic book and it's, everything's going to be perfect.
0: It's, it's going kinda... to be a all sound effect
1: issue. <laughs> uh, they already did that in G.I. Joe.
0: Yeah, they did that um, in many other Marvel comics too. Marvel once had a month where all their comics were silent comics. In the late, mid to late 2000s, they did a silent month.
1: Oh, okay, 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 all right. All right, so back to the story once again. The Juggernaut is now...
0: ashes the crap out of the helicopter and starts tearing it apart.
1: Mm -hmm. And he's flinging pieces of the helicopter at the X-Men, which is kind of (laughs) cool.
0: The Beast says, Still, the besieged Beast has one query, namely... How do we win the war if we lose all the battles? Which is a question he should have been asking himself since issue one.
1: <laughs> we keep losing all the battles. Uh, it's a good point. So we switch gears to uh, Trippy Land with uh, Outcast Zorak. <laughs> I
0: feel like it's getting trippier.
1: <laughs> it is. Um, lots of swirling things, and I'm not sure if there's a ground or or what, but. Uh, the, the plan is, is that they want the prototype of the ruby of Satorak. So somebody made a prototype and then fabricated the real thing, so they can't get the thing that they're in. They need the prototype that made the thing that they're in, which is inside the thing that they made the prototype of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they can't touch the ruby of Satorak because it will turn them into juggernauts. But inside the ruby of Satorak is... The prototype of the... And I don't know what they mean by prototype in this.
1: But. Oh, okay. Not, not the literal translation of what a prototype actually is. I'm not entirely sure. Okay. I'm going to take it... Uh, I'm going to take what Webster says and hope that that's what they mean. We'll find out, okay. I guess. <laughs> and uh, so Outcast says, Oh, I am the master of this universe. And he held aloft his magical sword and says oh wait he doesn't say that he says here's the (laughs) scarlet circles of doom and so these little uh cinnamon donut looking things come flying (laughs) out of his hands and uh they uncoil and uh tie up cyclops and marvel girl ah the red cinnamon donuts of doom (laughs) they're all doughy and sticky (laughs) they're in my hair and so Cyclops says, quickly use your telekinetic powers, which Marvel Girl does. And she says, oh, I'm trying, but it, it's so hard. And Cyclops <laughs> says, now, now, hon, now is not the time for that. Oh, wait, uh, you might uh, send them back towards Outcast,
0: Which she does, and they hit Outcast, And as they hit Outcast, they turn into poofy smoke. -hmm. And he vanishes behind the movie smoke.
1: Uh, And they talk about how he's gone. And
0: so now they're on some sort of weird trippy path. And Marvel Girl sees a light at the end of the path, and she's like, "We better head there." So they do. And then some weird tentacles, crimson tentacles, come off of the walls and start. Actually, they pick them up. Start bringing them towards.
1: The Hulk's mouth. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. apparently the Hulk is the master of this dimension as well and uh, is the size of King Kong the outcast has gone giant size which uh, Marvel Girl makes a horrible joke saying now I know how Faye Ray felt when she first met King Kong did him <laughs> Cyclops says I don't know what I see in you <laughs>
0: And then Psychov says, my eye beams, if I can just reach the control stud. What control stud is he
1: talking about? The control stud thing that we just pointed out earlier in the issue. That little little dial thing that was on the side of his head. Oh. Yeah, it's all connected, man. I get it now, (laughs) man. Wow.
0: (laughs) I was like, is there like a control stud that he's shooting at? But no.
1: Yeah, no, the control stud's part of his, his eye goggles. That's crazy. It's brilliant is what it is. <laughs> and so, oh, I made it. Now to see how sturdy these clinging vines are. He cuts Marvel girls. And then he shoots um, Outcast in the face. His giant face. But it does no good.
0: Outcast disappears with a blinding flash.
1: But then he shows up again. He says, here, fools, you are interlopers.
0: Time reverses itself, and they're back at the beginning when they first came in.
1: They don't know that, though.
0: Well, I don't know how else to explain it.
1: I mean, that's, you're, you're essentially right. Uh, outcast comes out from nowhere and repeats the same sentence he said when they first entered. Cyclops points out, oh, we're outcast." He's back, and we're back. But, but I have the strangest feeling that we've done this before. Oh, it's deja vu.
0: It's what the French call deja vu. <laughs> <laughs> deja vu.
1: Maybe back in the 60s they needed to actually explain the origins of deja vu. It was a less
0: common phrase.
1: And so Marvel Girl checks the time because they are on a time crunch. They only have an hour. And
0: it's again, flipping her glove open.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recalling earlier again. Just like the stud, man. Yeah. 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 So
0: it's uh, a thought-out issue.
1: Uh, we hear a ticking noise from Jean's watch, which Cyclops gloms onto as the ticking of your wrist watch. Look at the effect it's having on Outcast.
0: Outcast is totally freaking out by it.
1: He's like, "Dude, that acid was laced with something." <laughs> <laughs> Stay with me. Don't leave me.
0: Because in this time, or the, the, the way that time works. In this area that they're in is it cycles itself over and over again. And uh the outcast is caught in a repeating loop and doesn't realize it. So when introduced to the ticking of time, he gets totally freaked out.
1: And instantaneously ages as many years as he may have been stuck in this prototype. Or no, it's stuck within this ruby.
0: And then turns yes. into dust.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I mean, apparently he's been in there in here for a really long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's kind of an interesting uh, plot idea. It seems very Doctor Who-e, but I don't
0: know. I I like this whole trippy aspect of this yeah. issue.
1: Stuck in the time loop.
0: Cosmos.
1: Uh so over there, hey, good news. I found the uh, Ruby prototype and it's just over there. See, over there, <laughs> right behind the, uh, the dusty body of the former outcast. Now let's go. Grab my hand. Cyclops is using every excuse he can possibly think of to grab Gene Gray's hand. And good for him.
0: Seconds remain. Luckily, Cyclops grabs a hold of it before the time their hour ends, and they reappear in the mutant lab by, beside the professor.
1: They only had an instant left.
0: Yes, she could tell because when she threw her watch at the outcast, she they only had seconds left.
1: Oh, that's right. I think we skipped all over that point that Jean Grey threw the watch on. To, well whatever. So uh, the professor is going to be mad because first, the first three X-Men took the helicopter and wrecked it, and now Jean and Cyclops grab the X-Plane, and they're flying out. All of these unlicensed uh, teenagers flying around helicopters and airplanes. What is it, the professor made out of money? And they fly, t- and then as so, they leave. There's two panels of airplane for some reason. And then we get back to the professor's lab when we see two silhouettes saying, There he is! The fools have left him alone! For two, only we may shall go now for mutant helpless! Factor three. <laughs> then, Carrie, must assign by Master. Or something like that. Yes. This is <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is Agents of Factor 3, and they're kidnapping the Professor.
1: And that's all we get to see. That's the only taste we get. And we go back to Bobby and Angel and Beast as they
0: are entering a wind tunnel, and they've gotten the Juggernaut to start following them.
1: But the sign there says, positively, no admittance. <laughs> Well, how does
0: the people who operate the wind tunnel get in there? That's a
1: good question. Why would you have a wind tunnel a, door if nobody was ever to enter it?
0: There's clearly a control panel.
1: Yeah, well, that doesn't make any sense. Why would you put a door there? Well, anyways, they open up the door, and uh, the art gets a little weird here because I can't really tell what perspective they're on. When I first read this, it looked like Iceman had made, like, an ice ladder for them to stand on below the fan, but now that I see it again, I see that it's actually, like, a it's like a a catwalk with a control panel. Yeah, it's like and, a little dugout, and it's got like a like a salad bar glass covering on it, a sneeze guard, if you will.
0: Which makes very little sense because as, they're, as they turn on the wind <laughs> tunnel fans, it's actually sucking the Juggernaut towards them. So, since the shield is in front of them, wouldn't they get sucked into the fan?
1: Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe, I guess. <laughs> you're right. The blades of the fan are behind the X-Men, and the shield is in front of them. So you're right. They they should be.
0: And as Juggernaut points out, the the wind tunnel is sucking, is, is doing a sucking motion. Yeah, so yeah. he he comes in, and the pull is tremendous, and he can't fight it. So he lets himself go flying towards the X-Men and the fan, and then he he hits the fan and destroys it once again.
1: Yeah, it's a terrible plan. I don't know why they did it, but... but uh...
0: Well, it's not just a terrible plan. That just the wind tunnel makes no sense. No wonder it says positively no admittance. <laughs> it's just, they're still testing it. <laughs> they clearly it. haven't finished building it.
1: <laughs> we need to put the other part of the shield in before you use it. For the love of God, positively no admittance. Huh? Right. So, anyways, they don't die. I- I'm going to say that there was a negative vacuum created by the fact that there was a shield on one side but not the other side. So, because of physics and such, they were they were they were safe
0: okay i'll buy it
1: <laughs> okay thank you uh, yeah and so juggernaut goes smashing into the fan and the fan parts don't fall on the x-men even though they should have but
0: beast attacks juggernaut angel attacks juggernaut iceman throws ice around juggernaut mm-hmm. which juggernaut handily destroys
1: and so once he gets out of the ice they resort to plan a which is everybody charge him
0: Yeah, it looks like they're going to have their last battle, but then... Wait, those strange rays bathing me, and Cyclops has shown up. The sacred ruby of Sidorak, its rays making me feel weaker, but why? It was the ruby that turned me into the Juggernaut. So apparently the prototype of the sacred ruby looks just like the sacred
1: ruby. Well, because it's a prototype. What I want to know is what happened to his force field that he's been talking about this whole time. If you go back one page where uh, Beast clomps him with his feet, he doesn't bounce off of a force field. An Angel hits him with a big metal bar on the back of his head. He doesn't hit a force field. He actually knocks the juggernaut over. And uh, then he, Iceman covers him with ice and the juggernaut's like, Oh, my force field will handily take care of this for I am an unstoppable juggernaut with a force field.
0: Well, allow me to explain, Jeremy. Oh. In the top right panel, Bobby says, Come on, guys, his force field protected him, but he still looks groggy. And at that point, the force field is off. Then, in the bottom left panel, Bobby, as he's smashing the ice, Bobby is running away and said, He turned his force field, he turned on his force field, and busted out like a duck shedding water. He has to be in tip-top shape. In order to keep it on, it must require some, some energy. Okay. Yeah. So they took advantage of that time, and
1: good for them. I'm glad that that's cleared up. They use teamwork, sort of. And then Cyclops, as you said, used the prototype.
0: Juggernaut immediately grabs for the prototype, thinking that it's, it is the actual ruby, and that it's going to give his powers double the strength or something like that.
1: And this is where he says, I'm the Juggernaut, bitch! <clears throat> um, yeah, it is No, actually he just says, I'm the juggernaut I'm indestructible, invincible." Well, he says it a lot,
0: though I'm the, juggernaut. I'm the juggernaut I'm indestructible,
1: invincible I'm the juggernaut Get back, crew She's going to blow
0: Presumably that's where he says, I'm the juggernaut, bitch But right. the trip
1: Comics code and everything So in a large fwoom the Juggernaut implodes. He
0: ends up going inside
1: the ruby
0: of Sidorak.
1: Yeah, he implodes.
0: So he's now taken the place of the outcast. Oh. When next we see Juggernaut, he too will have a new name.
1: <laughs> He'll be like, hey, it's the Juggernaut. I was like, no, I am the Toastmaker. <laughs> I am the Toastmaster. And so the X-Men are like, how are you ever going to explain that we imploded his stepbrother to the professor? He's going to be mad. We broke his helicopter, (laughs) killed the stepbrother. Can anybody fly this plane home? (laughs) Well, somebody can. They get into the plane and they're like, well, it looks like we stopped factor three from gaining its most powerful ally.
0: And they're all scared of the professor being all angry at them.
1: He's going to ground us. They get back and the professor's gone and they all breathe a sigh of relief and say, Yay, we don't have to do homework.
0: (laughs) And immediately Psychov streaks out, The professor, he's gone. He must have been taken by Factor 3. Either that or he's in the bathroom. Give me a break. (laughs)
1: Uh, I don't know. They should really put a lock on the door or something. He assumes
0: it's Factor 3. They have like a thousand enemies or, you know, maybe he just went
1: shopping at Target. It could be anything. But it's got to be Factor 3. Well, is the factor well they 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 come they they jump to the conclusion that Factor 3 didn't actually want the Juggernaut. They only used the Juggernaut as a distraction to get the X-Men out of the house so that they could come in and kidnap the Professor.
0: Which is great. It's a really smart idea for a plot. But the fact that I don't know. The X Men are
1: paranoid. <laughs> well, I mean, look at their mat. Look at their master. Look at their professor. Senile old man is like evil mutants everywhere. Everywhere in my cereal, in my soup. <laughs> They're taking over the world. My alphabet soup spelled evil mutants. <laughs> Cyclops, you gotta help me. He'll get you the help you need, old man. Next ish,
0: The Extraordinary X-Men vs. Mole Man and Tyrannus, or What to Do Till Factor 3 Comes. Next issue, we are not going to get Factor 3.
1: Sounds like another throwaway issue.
0: (laughs) Good, I like those.
1: They're really milking this whole Factor 3 thing, aren't they? Yeah. I hope Factor 3 is the awesomest thing that has ever happened to the X-Men.
0: Well, it's going to turn out to be the X-Factor from the future.
1: (laughs) Oh, hey, that's us. What are we doing here?
0: There you have it folks. One more issue down the drain. <laughs> uh,
1: another another saga. Another juggernaut tale. I got to I got to wonder though, um spoilers. That way in the future in issue 542 or 1 or 3 or something like that, we find out that Sidorak is all connected to Asgard.
0: Oh, is it part of the Fear Itself thing?
1: Yes, and they reveal that the Juggernaut or the Sid, Sid, Sidorak is a component of Asgard and felt very retconny. Hey, look, when I read the issue, I was like, eh, it feels very retconny.
0: Is that an uncanny X Men issue or a Fear Itself issue?
1: Yeah, it's an uncanny. Oh, I missed that bit. I swear to God, I'll go back and read it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure. they. Like... I, I
0: trust you, I just don't, I missed it.
1: <laughs> Anyhow, uh, it felt very retcon-y, and I didn't like it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I mean. Retcons are the future, man. You can't just go 544 issues and then all of a sudden be like, oh yeah, everything you thought you knew is wrong, and it's really disconnected yeah, to this. It's the only way to tell
0: new stories. Look at what happened to Spider-Man.
1: Oh, they got rid of Mary Jane. Yeah, well,
0: they got rid of Mary Jane.
1: What a bunch of crap.
0: They needed to tell new stories. They wrote themselves into a corner. You gotta you gotta serve the story. The story must be serviced.
1: I don't know, man. I get in I, I get pretty uh fanboy y on the whole continuity and all all of it's all of that matters. If it didn't matter, why did I pay such close attention to it? <laughs> that is a problem you will have to ask yourself. <laughs> I feel cheated. you need to work with the the guidelines that you've set up. You can't just change your mind midstream I agree with you with with the,
0: within an extent, but as time evolves and and eras change, things have to change with it.
1: I don't know, man. Come up with new stories, come up with new characters. I was listening to uh, uh, Hollywood Babylon this week, which was uh, uh, from Comic-Con from last year or something. So it's kind of an old one. I haven't listened
0: to that very same episode today.
1: They talk about the retcons and all that sort of stuff. And Kevin Smith talks about the Golden Age, Silver Age, and Modern Age. And he says that this is the digital age or a a new age. But I disagree with that because in the Golden Age, they only carried over a handful of characters from Golden, Silver, to Modern Whereas in this digital age, they're just taking all of the old characters and rewriting some of them and not rewriting some of the others. And I don't like it. If they're truly going to start a new generation, just say, like, okay, all the old crap's gone. We're going to take Wolverine and Mr. Fantastic, and that's it, and we'll create a whole new universe. And it'll fail like the new universe did in 1987. And then they go back to telling the old stories. Or it'll be like five or ten years ago whenever they re-numbered Fantastic Four and all those other issues. And then 25 issues later, they're like, yeah, this sucked. And they restart the numbering back to where they left off from. That's what's going to happen here. The Ankenny X-Men is going to go back to like the 500s. It's gonna wait, they're going to wait till 600? Yeah, it's
0: around issue 600 will come around and it'll go back to 600. Yeah.
1: We all know that. Oh, okay. Really? I thought <laughs> I was through the looking glass here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I think what should happen, and... I mean, this is like for the whole industry is that instead of what DC did, which is kind of half ass reboot, everything
1: Batman counts, but nobody else does. Right.
0: Exactly. They need to actually start fresh and and really wipe out all their characters. And yeah, a lot of people are going to flip out and they'll lose a lot of sales, but they'll probably also gain a lot of sales.
1: Ooh, you can't do that in today's comic landscape. Yeah, you can, because no. if comic people have nothing better to read,
0: then they're just going to read the same stuff. They're going to read their new Spider-Man. They're going to read their new, you know... I'm not saying we change the characters. You'll still have Spider-Man, but it'll be Spider-Man with a different, more modern take and a more modern origin, and, you know...
1: So you just tell awesome. the same stories, but with cell phones and and. No, you, you create different origins for them. You... But Spider-Man isn't Spider-Man unless Uncle Ben is killed by his own fault, sort of.
0: Well, you can keep some other sort of <laughs> tragic. Batman's
1: uh, not Batman unless his parents get killed.
0: Yeah, you can keep elements. Wolverine's I, not Wolverine but, unless his
1: mind is wiped and he's been Weapon X and adamantium bones. Well, there's, there's a lot. The characters that that's are, not necessarily are steep true. From I their mean, origin. You
0: can. You can change all of that, and and the original stories aren't going to change. They'll still be there, and you create new stories. And that's for the that's where the comic industry needs to head.
1: Why don't they just use the existing continuity and create new stories, create new characters, create new places? You can bring all that baggage with you.
0: Uh, they are, but I don't know. <laughs> that, that, that's a good idea too, but I don't know. I th- I think the the current continuity has just run its course. I think we're just rehashing the same old stories and superhero comics aren't as interesting anymore. And they're trying to do things like renumber everything to bring bring up sales. And it works for a little while, but then, you know, if they really want to bring out new sales and and hit like a target market that isn't the same old target market over and over again, then they need to do something different. Hmm. They need to start doing less superhero comics.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like, the, well, the comics that we're reading right now are the very dawn of the, com- not of the superhero age. I mean, there were superheroes prior, but not to the extent that there are at this period of the 60s. But what's the next thing? What's the next comic book genre? I guess if you knew the answer to that question, you would be doing them and you would be rich.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so
1: that's not a fair question for me to ask. Okay.
0: I think it's probably out there. I mean, I, I think you probably see examples of it like uh, indie sort of stuff that don't involve superheroes that are still interesting stories. Walking Dead, for example.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Fear Agent. Um, Why the Last Man, which is over now. I guess Fear Agent's over, too. And even you have you have Invincible, which is probably one of the best superhero comics going right now, which is because it's all new stuff.
1: I'm pretty far behind on Invincible, but yeah, I do like that comic yeah, book a lot.
0: I lost track on Invincible, too.
1: I'll get back into it, though. Plenty of time. <laughs> all right, well, with that in mind...
0: A little sidetrack
1: there. Yeah, so uh, join us next week when we, we, we read the throwaway issue and it's a lot shorter. Uh, but yeah, so you can get a hold of us. Uh, mail us at DangerRoom at uh, com, or visit us at www.RedCatProductions forward slash DangerRoom or see us at Facebook.com forward slash podcast, or follow us on Twitter at Danger Room go.
0: And um, if you haven't yet, go to the iTunes and give us a excellent rating five stars that's what the only ones we'll take
1: yeah we and, uh, we return anything less than five stars
0: yeah seriously <laughs> and um, next issue we are going to read the names of all of our facebook fans on air so oh yeah if you yeah. want to be a part of that like us like us soon
1: yeah other other shows and and podcasts give away t-shirts and prizes and stickers and such we'll will read your name if you like us <laughs> on Facebook,
0: believe us, if we could give away t-shirts and prizes, we would, but uh, we're not there yet.
1: So don't uh, know
0: if we'll ever be there.
1: Click the like button and hear your name. It's as good as that, folks, and as easy as that too.
0: I mean, if I like this podcast, I would do it.
1: I would totally like this podcast. Wait, I
0: do like this podcast. I'm
1: not saying I don't. <laughs> yeah, you're not much of a salesman, Adam. <laughs>
0: If I was a fan listening to this podcast, I would totally do it.
1: All right. Well, on those notes and that uh, awesome offer that we've made to you, I think it's time for us to, to end this. Longest episode ever. Until next time, or until next week, the Danger Room is closed.
0: I once saw that issue, 155 for like, I think it was like on sale for a dollar, but I, I didn't realize it was going to shortly thereafter be worth like
1: $50 or something. It was? Because it was the last issue?
0: In the early 2000s, those last 10 Transformer issues and 10 G.I. Joe issues went up in price like crazy. And I, I stopped collecting Transformers on the first issue where they started going up in price. So I have one that's worth like, I don't know, $5 or something.
1: (laughs) Ooh. You weren't collecting G.I. Joe and Transformers when we were going to that comic place in Norfolk, were you?
0: No, I wasn't. I was collecting G.I. Joe, actually, though. I started collecting it again towards the end of our Norwood travels.
1: Oh, Norwood. I didn't know that.
0: And then I went on a rampage of collecting all the back issues.
1: Oh, okay. I did that once actually with Shade, The Changing Man. GI Joe was a
0: lot easier because they were cheap.
1: Oh, Shade was Shade was really easy and cheap too. Oh, okay. I went to a comic book store and I think they had. Uh, they didn't have like the first fifteen, but they had. Uh, they had the same writer. I can't remember what the writer's name was. They had the mishmash of artists, but they had, like, one primary artist and, like, three rotating ones. For, like, the first 50 issues, then it changed entirely to a different staff, and it just went way downhill. So I was able to get, uh, like, issue 15 through 50 complete for, like, like $12 or something.
0: Uh, See, so with G.I. Joe, I had to go to a whole bunch of different stores and pick up issues, like, kind of ragtag. <laughs> I did that for so long that I still have dreams about collecting issues of G.I. Joe. Why? Just because I, I did it for so long that it just became something that I did and, and became ingrained as a part of me. So occasionally I have a dream of like, here's issue 45.
1: Wow. Well, I'm with you. I get that part. But I mean, was the goal to get a, an entire run? And did you actually? Yeah, yeah.
0: I was trying to get one through 155.
1: and, and I. Uh, did you succeed? No, no, I did not. Did you get one? I have a terrible torn up copy of one. Do you have two? Yeah,
0: I got I got like one through a hundred and fifteen or something.
1: Two was like when I was growing up, when you would look in the back of the comic books and it would show you like the price guide, like order back issues now. One was worth like was selling for like ten dollars and two was selling for thirty five dollars. And then three, four, five, and six were, you know, seven, eight, ten dollars or whatever. So two, for some reason, was worth a lot more than all of the other ones for the longest time.
0: That was the first issue that focused on Snake Eyes and had Quinn the Eskimo. And
1: it did not have any Cobra at all. It was the only issue that has no reference to Cobra whatsoever. So I don't know if that was it or, you know, I, I don't know.
0: It's just a cool issue that stood on its own, I guess. Anyhow. Yeah, I have a copy of that. It's not in very good condition.